This is John Stepling. This is Aesthetic Resistance Podcast number, yeah, I got to look it up, 85. 85. Podcast number 85. Uh, With me in Sweden, Johan Edebo. Hello, Johan. Good evening. Uh, In Toronto, Corey Morningstar. Hi. (laughs) Varun Mather in (laughs) India. Hello, hello, hello. And um, in Long Island, Hiroyuki Yamada. Hi, Hiroyuki. Hi, John. Okay. We're, we're going to practice these introductions. <laughs> it's only been a year or something. Um, I wanted to start very briefly because Johan and I were talking about another topic, but I was on press TV today and I just want to make mention of this. Uh, because the immigration, so-called immigration crisis on the southern border, the border between uh, Texas, Arizona, California, and Mexico. Uh, The Article 42, I think it is, the COVID restrictions expired and it triggered uh, a large number of immigrants moving across the border, but there's other things that are, are other forces involved in increasing this immigrant, the immigrant numbers. Uh, and of course, Trump was was roundly criticized for his immigration policies, rightly criticized. Biden's are worse. It, this, I just want to make this clear. The U.S. government sent 24,000 uh, uh, immigration officers armed with automatic weapons and, and Humvees and everything else, SWAT attire, to the border. Homeland Security subcontracted uh, private security firms, uh, several thousand. The U.S. military was dispatched, which I thought was illegal, but you know what do I know? Uh, to the border, they lent uh, the Border Patrol people drones and uh, and various uh, GPS tracking stuff. Uh, the the sum total is probably like upwards of 30,000 militarized, heavily armed, uniformed cops on the border. It looks like a war zone. To stop desperate, impoverished people from, from coming in from Mexico. You know, this has gone on, of course, for 50, 60, 70 years. The cheap labor in the U.S. has always been done. Uh, by Mexican Central American labor. And I, the one story I want to note with this is that uh, besides this, this repressive sort of militarized response to the immigrants, the uh, Biden had appeared in Mexico City with Obrador and, and Justin Trudeau in January the North American Leaders Summit, I think it was called. And Biden bragged about all of the investment that the United States has made in South America and Central America and Mexico. And one example was mentioned, which was a $3.2 billion uh, investment that Kamala Harris spearheaded uh, to Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras. 
what this really was. They weren't giving $3 billion to those countries. They were giving $3 billion in tax breaks and incentives to Gap and other big clothing manufacturers to build more sweatshops. Mm. That's the investment the United States has always made in Latin America. And um, Eduardo Galeano's book is well worth reading, but it's just stunning that you don't hear any of this in mainstream media. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, that you know, and these right-wing governors in Texas, Florida, California, Gavin Newsom is such a nightmare in California. Uh, asking for more funds for more armaments, more equipment to uh, further process these immigrants. Many are now, the heads of immigrant families are forced to wear GPS bracelets, ankle mm -hmm. bracelets, uh, so they can impose a curfew on these people. For what reason? I mean, what possible reason could you have for, it just, it's just racist, sadistic, cruel, uh, and, and, an escalation from Trump's policies. So mm. that was all. I just wanted to mention that people can look into it on their own. And um, now we can segue into another topic that we have talked about a lot this week. Johan, do you want to? Sure, sure. I can, I can go ahead. This, <laughs> this, this thing you're describing, this, this gap between narrative reality and, and practice, narrative and practice, uh, I mean, it, it's, it cuts to, to the heart of this issue of, I, I would like to frame it as the need for epistemic prudence. Epistemic is something that pertains to, to truth and, and evidence. And, and this issue regards how we are to be responsible in terms of our, our criticism and in terms of what positions, narratives and theories we, we give assent to. And, one problem I think we've all approached from various angles these last weeks, I think, is that we're we're seeing this tendency towards irrationality on on both sides of of the divide, so to speak. So that we, on the one hand, have these these radical system loyalists who basically give their strong and vocal support to the current propaganda trend, and maybe they toss you a bit of word salad in support of it. And then again, though, we, we have the guys on, on our side, uh, so to speak, who make a virtue out of, of embracing, well, like each and every fringe theory that's somehow at odds with what the, the establishment projects. And what's, what's the issue here is how to be prudent in your dissent or your assent, how to neither reject or affirm a position for any other reason <laughs> than that you have the, the proper warrant to believe that it's true. And... Just, just a few more words on, on that issue, because th this priority, it's, it's ancient. I mean, it's, it's key to classical philosophy, and you find it in, in what's commonly known as the intellectual virtues throughout not only Western philosophy, but, but um, very much so there, all the way back to Plato, you know. And uh, Thomas Aquinas, he puts prudence or practical wisdom at the top of these intellectual virtues. And, and that's basically the act of always seeking the truth in how you apply your intellect. And I mean, sure, that sounds straightforward, but it really isn't that easy in, in this situation where the basic parameters of, of evidence and of the testimony of others have been so radically untethered 
and I think that it's that untethering that's that's the foundation of these problems we're seeing in right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, Varun. Yeah, so I think I'd like to point out also that I mean within what Johan you're mentioning these two positions that are constantly in conflict. The problem becomes when the central character of both arguments is still the establishment. Mm -hmm. And in the sense that we, I think that the new conversation and the new narrative has to be devoid of the establishment as the central character of the argument itself. So in that sense, how do we, because then that means that you have to create a new mythology entirely, which is ground up rather than um, and inside out rather than outside in, if you get what I'm saying. Because right now it's in, in the sense that even in the idea of fringe conspiracy theory, the conspiracy theory exists as an opposition to mainstream fact, for example. But if the mainstream didn't exist the way it does at all, then both those sides would be functioning quite differently, I think. Because the mythology, the current mythology is in both sides of the argument, or is central to both sides of the argument in that sense. Um, yeah. Uh, God, there's so many, and there's so many ways to approach this topic is, is one of the problems. And it's, it's, it requires I mean, it's a complex question, ergo, it requires a complex answer. I think that th this phenomenon, this is what Johan called this untethering, this unraveling of rationality, uh, has coincided with with this profound increase in in digital communication private digital communication, i.e. social media. Uh, and and we talked a little bit about this. I, I called it the democratization of opinion, which everybody jumped on that word as being wrong, and it probably is. But but it it is it's tied into a whole, well, into several other phenomenon that has occurred, historical phenomenon that has occurred. And it, and it goes back probably to World War I, really, in a sense. I mean, it's, it's tied into how technology has evolved, the innovations in technology, the historical forces that, that dictated what direction those innovations were taking, so forth. Uh, and it, and it, there's a whole dozen, the erosion of public education, and we can talk a little bit about that and should, because I have some more statistics about that. Uh, and, and also this irrationality has to be looked at, tied into the, the fact that, that one in four or five Americans takes antidepressants, SSRIs, uh, that almost every single mass shooter was on antidepressants, which in one way you know, perhaps would make sense since everybody's on them. But when, when psychoanalysis became, was taken over by, by pharmacological solutions, 
uh, it intensified certain certain a certain kind of causality with with what was seen as normal and what was seen as pathological. Um, I'm going to continue that in a second. But Corey, you have your hands up. So, um, just sort of on the back, what Johan and Brun were speaking to, I think. Um... One good initiative I saw recently was that of Musk when he put on um, CBC Twitter, CBC Media Canada, he um, put on it that it was 70% funded by the government. Um, so basically it was a, you know, state funded media. And I thought that was a good um, start. I mean, if we're not willing to basically eradicate foundations and um, we should be at least telling people how much funding they receive from state or corporations, especially. Um, I mean, foundations, if you think about it, they they set up some sort of thing in US Congress in I think 1952, and they looked at um, foundations um, basically as how powerful they were back then for shaping and molding society, their reach into education, you know, which is, they've now basically reached into everything. And at that time, um, I think there was one Democrat, Reese, and then a Republican with the last name of Cox. I could have those two switched up, but regardless, there was one of each. And, um, you know, they framed it basically as the foundations being a tool for, um, you know, liberal um, sort of, they framed it or saw them as Marxist in nature and said, and then what we're talking about, you know, in our in our telegram group, just about how the the, you know, quote unquote the right, they always, in my opinion, make that mistake, right? They always mistake liberals as, you know, socialists or communists and, and leftists, where in fact liberals are completely aligned with corporate ideology. You know, they're I so. Anyway, I just think it's really interesting. If you imagine all the money, the first thing people do with money is to open their own foundation, whether you're a celebrity, an influencer, whoever it is, most people with money and reach have opened their own um, foundation, right? It serves to evade taxes. And so imagine all if all that money that was going, you know, we're talking billions, trillions of dollars into foundations, if that was being put into public housing, right? Dental care, health care, mental health, right? We're talking tons and tons and tons of money. And then if you add that to the money put into the military, all this money could be going back, you know, for to, to embed better society. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, we have right there, the means so many taxes not being paid. And then, of course, the working class props up everything, right? Because there's no allowances or, you know, that type of thing for the working class. They pay, you know, they pay their taxes. So anyway, I just wanted to bring that into the fold, how, how you could expand the social media um, by even if you identified the amount of corporate funding. I mean, if you had the amount of corporate funding going to World Wildlife Fund, no one would ever take it seriously. Right, because every time you looked at it, you would see, oh God, yeah, forget it. Right, right. So, so yeah, I, I think there's um, an avenue there and room for something real to happen. Well, there's there's two things I think that that one can look at when we talk about the the erosion of education that that 
and we know, I mean, there have been enough studies done to sort of objectively determine that people are less literate than they were 80 years ago. They read far fewer books. They know fewer words. Their vocabulary has shrunk something like 25%. Uh, this is in the English speaking world, in the United States, Canada, UK. So we know all that and, and I defy you to go to any comment thread on the internet, whether it's politics or sports or self-help or, you know, a Facebook group of mothers of transgender midgets or something, it doesn't matter. Go to any comment thread anywhere and read the comments and you will there is an unmistakable, I don't know how to put this, an unmistakable quality of, of subliteracy, of just stupidity, that people can't make sense. They, they can't write complete sentences. And, and among the most prona pronounced confusions is what, what you, Corey, just pointed to is that these labels get tossed around. The World Economic Forum is a world communist plot. Uh, Nazism and Bolsheviks were the same. Uh, the Russian Revolution was funded by, by um, fascists on Wall Street and on and on and on. And all these, all these kind of weird fairy tales and then the tin foil conspiracy stuff. Uh, but, but on a more basic level, there, there has been a people, there is an impaired capacity to communicate even the most simple things. Uh, and, and coupled to that, and this is the part that is, is complicated and I don't know how to express entirely, coupled to that is that I think very smart, educated people don't go on social media. Uh, the very few that I know actually have anything to do with social media among my really smart friends, present company excluded. And social media is inherently a, a, a machine for distorting reality, I think. So you get a picture of, of this fabric of society that is, that is just, just an illusion. It, it's not it's why we used to, on this podcast, we talked about how many people do you think are skeptical of the COVID vaccine? And because there was no reliable yardstick to determine this. And we came away with sort of thinking, as I recall, that it was a majority, but maybe a small majority. It's hard to tell. Depended where you were, certainly depended what class you were in and so forth. And uh, that's that's one of the problems. So I'm going to turn this back to Johan's point and I want Johan to get into it more. These, the criteria that people once used for evidence and truth and verifiability um, have changed, obviously. They're almost non-existent, in fact, and institutions have lost their legitimacy because we now have a pretty... Um, protracted period of institutional deceit 
So what are the repercussions from that? And if we're talking about, okay, forget the, the, the uneducated um, neurotics who babble on social media and troll people and stuff like I was trolled this week. Uh, but, but among people who are aware of these problems, what, is, what are the implications then looking forward? I guess that's one of those questions mm. moderators ask, if that's what I am. <laughs> Johan. Yeah, that's a very <laughs> difficult question to, to answer. I, I don't think I can do it, but I, I have a, a, an experience, a little anecdote that's connected to all of this. So I, I met these pretty great people about a year ago. We got together over, you know, defense against the, the, the government's COVID policies and all that vaccination stuff. So they were cultured, they are cultured, well-educated well people. They were endeavoring to, to build a sort of self-reliance, various forms of self-reliance in opposition to the system. They sourced local food, they were interested in homeschooling, they were seeking for alternative economic solutions and all of that, all, all that's well and good, you know? But, but one day after we'd had dinner together at their place, they confided in me that they were actually flat earthers. And, and I mean, you know, I'll, I'll gladly entertain any argument for any point of view, you know, I'm, I'm that kind of person, but this revelation sort of stunned me because, you know, there are simple and easily accessible ways to actually conclusively disprove this hypothesis. And the fact that they still held to it, even in spite of me presenting this evidence to them, it was kind of shocking to me because this made it clear to me that the grounds for them adhering to this position, well, they were not, not based in any conventional evidence, but it was rather this expression of the value judgment that the system is evil and that the dominant worldview must be rejected wholesale. And I mean, so, so I, I would say that this is an unbalanced emphasis on, on maybe a moral virtue to the detriment of the intellectual virtues. That's how I would frame it philosophically. But what this means for, for the for the, the, the process of, of building a, a meaningful political resistance, I, I don't know, but I don't think it's very good. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I had a similar experience years ago with a, with a friend of mine uh, who became somewhat obsessed with UFOs. And this, this was a very smart guy. I mean, very smart, educated. Uh, and, and it was one of those things that, <clears throat> excuse me, happened overnight. It was like one minute we were talking about George Trockel or something. And the next minute we're talking about cattle mutilations. He just would drop it into the conversation. And all of us who knew him were were kind of caught off guard and had no idea how to respond other than saying, what's wrong with you, you know? Uh, but he was very serious about it. He was, he was sincere and serious about it and I respected him. And to this day, I don't know, I haven't seen him in 25 years, but he's probably still uh, studying uh, Area 51 and whatnot. So it, it's, it's some kind, there is a, a psychoanalytic aspect to this stuff. 
I think certain conspiracies have a certain appeal, obviously. Whatever one thinks about, about certain, you know, I mean, all the popular delusions, it's understandable. You can almost predict who is going to be seduced by one particular train or something because it reinforces their already existing biases and prejudices. And so it, it makes sense. And it probably is much deeper than that even. Uh, it, it, it's compensatory in some way to how people construct reality. And this goes to the heart of your point, I think, Johan, and that is that with the general societies, society in general, having lost an ability to narrate complex ideas with any depth, because that's what we do ourselves silently to ourselves, is explain ourselves narratively. When that starts, to lose traction, as it were, I think all sorts of problems ensue, psychological problems follow from that. And, and, and because of this, like take the AI topic, and I wanna to say something about that in a minute. Um, I have to remind me, I wanna say something about that. Uh, these stories that are sort of idiotic, if you sit back and look at them, nonetheless appeal to people because it fulfills, it's a wish fulfillment, ultimately an unconscious pull toward something that, and, and that's my only explanation for some of it. But in terms of, of solving this problem, I, I don't have a solution. Uh, it's a, and it's troubling because you can no longer there what the few signposts to legitimate you know the appeals to authority signposts are gone you can't say geez but you know the world health organization said this and that. well that's not that's not an endorsement for uh for your argument i'm sorry it used to be maybe it's certainly not now hiroyuki and then Varun. Uh, well i i just um uh, uh think that um this is this is really a complicated <laughs> issue and uh, definitely there is a uh, level of uh, psychological um um problems that that are being induced but at the same time this is also very much structural it's um you know the we have uh, social institutions delegitimized by capitalist imperatives we uh, do not have access to what's right and what's wrong because those uh, things are skewed and distorted. And by the time they reach to us, they they are not no longer facts. And if we keep getting it uh, over and over from different directions, um, we don't know where we are. We don't know how we are. We don't know what we are. We uh you know because we don't really stand on the same ground anymore because the social institutions do not function for the people they are dominated by the capital and they are serving the capital and they are doing what they do and so 
in a sense, I mean, this is really, uh, um, it makes sense, unfortunately. And, and when we look at it directly and confront it, we, we must realize that this is really, really a scary situation because we, I mean, you know, we lead lives in our communities. We have relatives in other places, but we don't really see things in, you know, directly, you know, because we, we don't know when things happen in another town, we didn't see it. You know, something happens in other countries. Uh, they tell us this and that. But we don't know because we are not there. It's, it's, it's you very know? interesting. Yeah. It, and that's very interesting because I remember when uh, people having such ready access to videos on their smartphones that they would sh videotape police brutality, say, and then the police tried to pass laws <laughs> saying you can't videotape us being Gestapo like, uh, which in and of itself is pretty funny. Um, uh, but now that's what's being eroded too, because deep fakes, people can, can, the technology is so quick and effortless to use that, that you, that not even that has any, any lasting importance anymore. It's, it's very, it's, it's now, um, a culture of extreme doubt or something. And that's unsettling. Varun? Yeah, I was just going to, that's exactly it. I, th I was just going to say, I think, don't you guys think that this is like symptomatic of the extreme mistrust because of the corruption of the establishment and how it functions? And like, I mean, in the sense, I think education also fits into this because you're forced to compete with your peers without even the knowledge of trying to compete with them, especially in younger ages. And as you grow older, that kind of, kind of, it becomes a fractal for competitive economics, right? And you're, you're living in this world, which is continuously at conflict with itself. So to create um, mistrust by the establishment in the community is very easy. They can, they can sow any seed they want and pull the community in various directions and it will never be able to construct a solid story for itself. It can't construct a mythology for itself. And that works in favor for the establishment to keep the power structure intact, I think. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, I, I, I wanted to, I, I mean, I agree with all this and I'm processing it as I'm, as I'm kind of vamping here. Um, but I wanted to mention something, just a thought that passed through my, uh, my brain this afternoon, because I had just been reading, I was in the living room of my house here before I came up to this sort of shed that I write in, and I was reading an article on AI, and it was another sort of puff piece overselling the importance of AI, the runaway AI could pose a threat to mankind, and on. And that it's an absolute foregone conclusion that artificial intelligence will become sentient and autonomous and creative uh, in the not distant future. That was the that was a silly article. Okay, and so I started to walk out the door to come up to the shed, and I paused because I knew I was forgetting something. 
I said, what, wait, what, what, what is it, what is it, what is it, what is it? And it just sort of floated away out of my brain and I continued up to the shed. And when I got up here, I sat down, I went, oh shit, I forgot my phone. And so I ran down and got it. Now, the point of this story is what is that? That sense you have that you have forgotten something. Is that a thought? It's, I guess that's what it is. What is one's experience of that thought exactly? From whence does it come? If you've forgotten something, you've forgotten it. But you've not, you've not really forgotten it because you have this funny experience of sensing that you're forgetting something. But you can't, you can't yeah. explain yeah. to yourself what it is. Johan? Yeah, so so I, I I'm gonna have to get back on on this particular issue because I I I had the same experience and I reflected a lot of, about this phenomenon like a year and a half ago. I would frame it as indirect perception or indirect cognition or something like that. And, and it was it was very useful in in a theory I was working on at the moment, and I, I will have to return to it. But but if, if yeah, I was gonna just gonna say that. So if, if somebody else had something to add on this, I'm gonna shut up. No, no. Continue. No, I I'm gonna have to think a, a bit about it before I continue. Okay, but okay. I feel no, like it's great. So yeah, no. I, yeah, it, to me it's a it it. This is a a somewhat. A somewhat simplistic or, or crude example. Everybody has that sense at times of, I know I'm forgetting something, but the market, I mean, milk, eggs, and what was the other uh, And sometimes you can remember it, and sometimes you can't. And, and but it, this fascinates me because the, 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 the quality, which mm. is not entirely a thought it's 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 in your body it's in everything yeah 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 uh so, so that, a good example uh, i forgot yeah. the name of, of al pacino and it uh, it bothered me I, I i mean i didn't remember the name of, of the actor of, of these movies and so on so i i tried to to recollect it myself and i i knew what it wasn't and I knew what names sort of were similar to it, and eventually I, I, I tracked it down. But what sort of what sort of perception is that? What, what am I knowing when I know that? Well, it's it's kind of similar to this name, although exactly. I don't have it. Exactly. No, that's a great yeah. example. Yeah, yeah. What is that? It, it, mm. it, it's because we like to we like <clears throat> to create pictures in our heads. Mm. for what goes on in our heads, right? So I'm accessing the Rolodex in my head for Italian-American, yeah, yeah. short Italian-American actors. Uh, and, and, but, but it's not, of course, that. It, it, is, it is much more elusive and sort of elastic and, and, uh, and, and tied into, boy, see, we're going to get very philosophical here. It's tied into time to 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 the fact that time as we conceptualize it is is ordered in a certain kind of mm. way and 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 
we hide if and I'm starting to come to the conclusion that we hide our entire lives from the fact that we're going to die. And mm. and that's a part of it as well. And but but at the end of this train of logical train is 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 the moment that I paused at the door thinking I have forgotten something. What made me do that? Because I, I didn't have a list. I wasn't even the market. I was just walking out. The, so it was like, it was three degrees removed from even the most obvious kind of, of reference point or, or clumsy metaphor. It was a very elusive, strange phantom in in me somewhere that caused that and it is those moments because you know also i'm getting older so i'm probably forgetting more things but um it is in those moments that i think this is when i know artificial intelligence is is a, will never achieve consciousness that consciousness huh. is a is a miracle that we don't appreciate, that humans in general do not appreciate. Uh, I sent you guys that article about reclaiming the night sky, uh, the, a new fight against light pollution on globally, which I'm all for, uh, yeah. because it's changed in my lifetime. I mean, you know, you know, and I live out in, you know, butt crack Norway. I mean, there's nothing here, and there's still light pollution. Uh, so it, that's a, it, I brought that up because that's another feeling where I think ah, my whole life has been lived under where I don't get to see the night sky, you know? And maybe that's a very profound loss that I have not been entirely aware of. All right, uh, Varun and then Johan or vice versa. Yeah, maybe, I, yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think maybe this is also, I mean, it's, it, the the physical experience of routine and habit and a small lapse in that I think that's it's always stored in the physical senses it, it's not necessarily just processed as a thought or an emotion it's just as a as an everyday habit and I think that's a great point because propaganda and marketing fill exactly that spot in the population according to me because that yeah. is where the the triggers are are captured and modified and used against the individual i think that's exactly the space which you're which you're mentioning is that but the more aware you become of it the the larger i think the larger that your awareness grows and the more alert that you start becoming then things start shifting a little bit but yeah that's yeah, I want to. Yeah, I'm going to come back to that. It's a really good point. But Johan, that's a really interesting point. The notion of propaganda turns on indirect perception. I just wanted to to make a statement for the record because I, I will. I, I'm going to have to get back to this and, and listen through it. But this notion of, of indirect perception that that you can indirectly access some intellection some form some object by not having that in your perception or in your consciousness it it's very interesting because it it first of all it undermines the the 
the West Western philosophy has had this problem of of uh, uh, well, the differentiation is too strong. A thing is either identical to itself. A thing is always identical to itself, but it's not identical to anything else. So, so there's this strong separation between different entities. And, and the Eastern philosophy, Chinese philosophy, has had the opposite problem because there everything kind of collapses into sameness. But right. this this uh, perception, this this phenomenon, it sort of strikes a balance between these two extremes and provides a sort of tangible, accessible experience that that provides a foundation for for a, a different sort of philosophizing, really. And I think that's uh, it's incredibly interesting, and it sort of dovetails with Aquinas's theory of, of analogy in in the analogy of being and so on. Yeah. Um, it also it also <clears throat> is not unrelated to to Freud's essay on the uncanny, uh, yeah. Yeah. which is which is something everybody should read. Probably it's it's very very interesting in retrospect now to, because that that's that place where where Freud would reluctantly uh, become a philosopher if not a mystic and. Uh, he was getting at the uncanny is both familiar and unfamiliar, right? Um, this is also things like deja vu and uh, what's that expression for when a, a, you can't tell if something is an automaton or real? Oh, there's a funny test thing. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, I wrote about in one of the blog posts. It's very interesting, and and a lot of people have written glosses on that uncanny essay of Freud's because there and, and Lacan was kind of obsessed with it, as I recall, because there is a kind of resonance to this that that this touches on something that is that is suggestive of the depth of of consciousness of our awareness of our sentience and i guess this has been this period for me over the last couple of years you know i'm always rambling on about the earth is vast uh but but consciousness is vast people i just i this this suffocating sense of triviality in contemporary society, that the, the endless daily stream of distractions, meaningless, stupid, solipsistic nonsense that people get hugely invested in. Like, I was, you know, on a Twitter thread about, we won't get into it, viruses, the viruses don't exist at all. Hmm. Uh, I had my kids home from school this week because they had uh, the common cold, which as I recall is a virus, but hey, never mind. Uh, they probably just spontaneously manifested it uh, <laughs> by, by thinking in pure thoughts. I don't know. But, but these people that were arguing for it, I mean, a couple were very nice, perfectly nice. One guy, we disagreed and that was up. Others, trolled the, the aesthetic resistance 
uh, page on SoundCloud and on Twitter. I finally had to block them. They're calling us names and you're an ignoramus because you know. <laughs> and I thought, well, on one level, in the context in which you were arguing this, it doesn't matter. Because what is important in the context of this conversation that he and I and 10 other people were having had to do with the political response by Western governments, especially to, to the COVID, that declaring mm -hmm. it a pandemic, where did that come from? Why did they do that? Shut down entire economies and so forth. And the trauma and we seems like each day that passes, there are further uh, verification of the harm done by things like wearing masks and, and, and isolating the agent and on and on and on. They were not just annoyances, they were, they were, uh, they were death sentences in a sense, especially for the burial and children. I mean, the harm done to children through masks is probably yet to be determined even remotely, I suspect. I mean, what, parent would so blindly follow that I don't know uh, but 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 people there's so many things we could point to the the increased use of sunscreen for example also on children uh, there's very little evidence that that hmm. kids are at risk from skin cancer you know uh, but but there's a whole industry I mean, it's a very profitable industry from big Pharma again, manufacturing this stuff. Okay, I'm rambling, so let me turn it it back to you. But I I guess my point is that for me recently, I'm I think the time I have left on Earth, I want to spend thinking and experiencing mm. the wonders of the, this place I am deposited yeah. upon. Johan. Yeah, that's that's great. I I I agree. I think. But uh, let's also, you, you talked about the solipsistic environment of contemporary, uh, I would say, discourse. And, and this observation you made on indirect perception, it kind of undermines that in various ways as well, because this, this indirect access to something that's not in my intellectual or sensory possession, there's an analogy to the indirect access to a human being here as well, because if, if I read a short direct message from you, like three or four words, there is a, in a, there's a sense in which I access you as a person immediately through these words in, in a vastly different way I would interpret these words for, from another person. And there's, uh, there's an analogy here to this tip of the tongue phenomenon, which I think is uh, crucially important to, to uh, and it, I think it also has this close connection to the Freud's uh, uncanny and, and to the Jungian archetypes and all of that, because in some way there are aspects of reality that we apparently can access indirectly. And I, I mean, is it such a stretch to imagine that we can actually access other consciousnesses indirectly in, in some sense? I don't think so. Um, Corey, yeah, no, I'm gonna, Corey's mm -hmm. had her hand up there as well, yes. No, that's okay. I was just 
I mean, when you said how you want to spend your time, right? I mean, the past couple of years, more and more and more, I just start feeling like social media in particular, like online, but social media in particular was feeling super, super toxic. And um, I always refer to it as a cesspool, like the, the more year after year, to me, it became more and more of a cesspool, right? And not people um, building community, but people almost hunting to harm people and to like judge people and inflict um, misery upon people. I mean, not everybody, obviously, but a large part of it just seems super, super unhealthy. And so I find personally for me, the past year I've been, I, I mean, I would go on there, this feeling like I have to be productive somehow I'll go on, on to social media and post things and that, but like within a short period of time, within a couple of hours, I literally felt like it was sucking the life out of me and making me unhappy and miserable and just not a good feeling, like definitely not healthy, the opposite of healthy. And, um, you know, this, so then I just, I'm trying just to keep it to writing and keep my, you know, being on there really minimal and just about <laughs> spending time this year in my garden, I shared with all you guys the owl that was in my garden this year. And just talking right now, there's blue jays and cardinals, you know, tons of birds and that. And to me, that is probably one of the best things I've spent time on in my lifetime is, you know, um, basically creating like this massive parkland type urban corridor, you know, that actually sustains life and gives joy and happiness to people that encounter it. And I, I just want to offer to our people that are on here, Hiroyuki, I sent him some pawpaw seeds a couple of years ago, a few years ago, maybe now. And I know they're growing um, in his gardens. And I want to offer if anybody wants any, I have about 20 right now in my freezer that I'm about to grow. And if, yeah, if anybody wants, I will happily send them pawpaw seeds. And, you know, the more we hear about climate, 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 today when I was out, I mean, you just see loads and loads of trucks and leaf blowers and lawnmowers and so much yeah. energy, yeah. so much energy going into maintaining the colonization of soil, which is grass, which does nothing. And, you know, the water, the fertilizer, um, poisoning our soil, which poisons, you know, all life, including us. And all these ridiculous things, we're talking about the grids, how in Texas and Europe, they're asking people to voluntarily not use um, energy because the grids are already stained, um, already maxed out. And, you know, this isn't before we have EVs all plugged in, we're going in a crazy direction right? Absolutely crazy direction. When we yep, should plant, be planting, yeah, I mean, you can plant trees and not need air conditioners. You can completely insulate buildings using plants and trees. We can naturalize all these spaces and get rid of leaf blowers and lawnmowers and all this other shit. And we're not doing it, you know? Instead, we're like typing furiously about all these other things while we ignore you know, militarism, we ignore all these things that we see happening right in front of our faces every single day. No one is um, talking about them. No one's interested in them. And we're basically like just led by a leash, you know, to yeah. here's what you're going to care about. Here's what you're going to think about. Here's what you're going to talk about. Anyway, that's my ramble. No, but I, 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 you know, Norway here has become party to 
a pretty significant increase in in militarization in partnership with NATO, of course, and with the United States and with Sweden. Uh, the Scandinavian countries have all lurched to the right. They've all embraced the idea that somehow their future is is joined to that of the United States, not China, not Russia. Uh, and I think it was the Swedish defense minister the other day said Russia, he's pretty sure Russia intends to uh, take over and occupy southern Sweden. This is a guy with a very powerful position who is clearly delusional. So it, yeah. I'm given pause daily when I, I saw when I, important people, people in positions of importance, power, politicians mostly. I'm, I'm taken back daily <clears throat> by what I see, the insanity of, of, try to listen to Kamala Harris. I don't know if she's drinking a lot or, or uh, this is just an organic problem, you know, I don't know. Uh, Biden is just is just word soup now. He just, you know, stutters and 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 shuffles around in circles and doesn't know where he is, and he's running for re-election. It's really quite extraordinary. But but other people as well. I, I mean, anybody's heard the former uh, Danish defense minister? What's his name? Rasmussen. I mean, he's just bonkers. He's just barking mad. Uh, and and it's. I, I try to look at that and think, what is what is the lesson? How did it come to be that such imbeciles are in positions of such power? What were all the mechanisms and forces <clears throat> and structural necessities that that birthed this particular phenomenon of the very most stupid people in positions ostensibly of the very most power. It's it's amazing. Um, Johan and, and then Varun? I think good old nepotism is gonna take you quite a long way on this road, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. But I, I think it's interesting because back in 2014, they said the same thing, that Russia's definitely gonna take Gotland and the south of Sweden because they have such a huge strategic interest in, in occupying the world for some reason and they're still pushing this this narrative it's like a um, yeah they're, they're it's a prophecy maybe but also yeah, uh, maybe some one of you could mention this um the opening of a nato office in in tokyo and i also had a question to hiroyuki in relation to the indirect perception thing because when, when you're i mean this is this might not be true but when you're like sculpting something isn't there a sense in which you kind of know the outcome even though you haven't planned the outcome and even though you don't see it <laughs> ahead of you you know yeah you recognize the, the goal yeah yeah it it's 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 really um uh it, it's it's very hard to describe the um it's it's almost like thoughts and actions are margin mm. and uh i i don't even 
um, recognize sometimes. I would just forget about uh, uh, what's going on. And I, I would just be consumed by the process. And by the time I notice, I, I realize that something is happening with the piece. So there is this intense uh, observation and uh, intense uh, harmony with the uh, material and the uh, theme, whatever I'm working with. So, um, I mean, I, you know, the, the, um, the long story is short. I, I just don't know, but some strange things happen in the uh, making process. And I'm sure when we are involved with reality, and we put our actions into um, the situation, similar things happen. And uh, the way we recognize things um, is very different when, when, when it's effective, when, when it's not, when it's manipulated, or maybe when it's uh, enforced by our own will without the uh, recognition of the uh, environment. So it's it's really, uh, um, uh, it's a very strange thing. I, 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 don't, I don't really know how to describe, but there is some, uh, there's something happening. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know. I mean, you make <coughs> music too, you know? It, you, 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 you get what I'm talking about? I'm yeah, going yeah. to. I'm going to say one quick thing here, because, and I don't want to interrupt you, Johan, but um, I, I was talking to a friend of mine who was a writer in Los Angeles. He's a pretty commercial writer, actually. He's a very good writer, writes screenplays, teleplays. And he said, oh, I took one of those AI chat box things and told it, I want to write I want to pitch for uh, a crime TV show set in the the world of the ballet and drugs. Those are the elements. <laughs> it wrote him a pitch called, I think, On Point and Powder or something. <laughs> and um, he said, "Yeah, it was. It was just terrible. It was just what you would expect a machine to write you, you know." And he made an interesting comment. He said the truth has always been since aristotle that if you follow the rules you write shit and 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 this is absolutely true and and all those people spent all that money buying you know robert mckee's how to write a screenplay and etc guaranteed to 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 make your writing worse and this goes back in theater which is a i've always felt a profoundly mystical art form to people like Arto, uh, uh, to to no theater, the great theoretician of Japanese no was Ziavi, uh, but but uh, the the Peter Honke's work, Casper Hauser, Arto's essays, and 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 the people who have Peter Brook and so forth. There is a sense in all of these people that that what you're trying to get at, Arto put it, what he wants is that moment when the lights come up and an actor 
is standing in the spotlight and he's totally forgotten his lines. And that there is a brief nanosecond of absolute panic. He said, that is the truth. And, mm. and it is when that actor is more himself than he has ever been, uh, when he has forgotten everything about the character he's supposed to be playing. Now this gets very like triple tiered and so forth, but but if if you go to Han Key's Casper Hauser, this is a profound play, profound exercise. Go ahead and read it. I'm assigning that to everybody. Um, but in I used to tell writing students, I'm sure I've said this before, that don't know where you're going, don't have a you know, you can feel what you want to say, trust the impulse, however inarticulate it is. That, that you're going to arrive at this place, that you have an impulse to write this stuff, just trust it, go with it. Uh, don't overanalyze it, don't think about it, don't tell yourself it has no meaning, it's not supposed to have meaning, it's a whole, it's the process. Hmm. This, all this kind of stuff, <laughs> the way I teach writing, um, is why I'm not employed in academia teaching writing, because this is absolutely, diametrically opposed to, to what uh, almost all writing programs will tell you and all theater programs will tell you. And uh, it's why there's so much bad stuff out there. And, and, but it, it is interesting. I think that, that that sense of writing a play is, is a lot, is related to the uncanny, is related to not knowing what you forgot, um, all those things are in the the um, the margins of our psyche. Uh, Johan, yeah, you, you a couple of years ago you talked about how how our culture has, has lost the we we don't make any good horror films anymore, and I think that kind of relates to how we we've lost the sense of the uncanny, and we have no. We, we have no access to, we have no reflection on our, our fears whatsoever anymore. And they're kind of sublimated and repressed and, and transformed into, into other things. So, so I was just gonna ask you guys, what, what, what's, what's your favorite horror movie? Uh, go ahead, everybody answer. <coughs> what's yours, Johan? Uh, my favorite horror novel, I think is Stephen King's It. But the the films are useless. Um, there's a there's a a film producer from the '40s called Val Luton. He wasn't a director. He wasn't a writer. He was a Russian emigre who got set up at RKO, which was a budget studio, and he produced a series of films. The original Catwoman is his his. Uh, uh, product, uh, Jacques Tourneur directed it, uh, uh, Leopard Man, I Walked with a Zombie, which is essentially Wuthering Heights in the Caribbean. Brilliant film. I mean, truly brilliant film. I Walked with a Zombie. And what happened was the studio would give him titles. Somebody had in the Saturday Evening Post had written something called I Walked with a Zombie. He just took the title. He was given the title and did something completely different. Uh, Jeffrey O'Brien had a beautiful essay in the New York Review about, about uh, Luton, but he's extraordinary. I used to screen a couple of his films every year at the film school. Uh, 
I don't know if they qualify as horror films exactly. I think uh, Roger Corman, old Roger, who I knew, by the way, uh, and his wife, uh, directed The Man with the X-Ray Eyes, 1950s, with Ray Millet. This is actually a kind of brilliant film for all the camp kitsch aspects to it. It's horrifying film. Everybody should watch it. Uh, those are those are my mm. my nominees and the original Nosferatu, of course. Mm. Okay, and anybody Nosferatu, else? Nosferatu is great, but would you would you beyond would you consider Top Gun Maverick <laughs> as a horror film? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I, I think would. that that is true real world horror. I haven't man. seen the the sequel. I haven't. I should. Oh God, it's just it's just it's just excellent. With everything that is horrifying, actually, like just the spectacle, the narrative, yeah. the idea, and like the glorification of war and the individual soldier that is going to save the world, all of that is just that, like that kind of stuff really freaks me out. I'm not yeah. as scared watching Omen or you know any of this stuff then I am watching that stuff because that <laughs> is real world implication like directly, immediately. Um, I posted a thing on Facebook because I had started to watch Citadel TV series. Oh, yeah. uh, I think produced by Amazon, I forget, with that um, Indian tart and um, yeah. some- Priyanka, some Priyanka Chopra. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. 40, interestingly. She's playing yeah. much younger all the time. Anyway, she's just jaw-droppingly bad. But anyway, <laughs> this is this is among the worst scripts ever. And this is the most expensive TV show ever made, allegedly. It's certainly one of the most expensive. And it it the I mean, the mind reels because you think if all this money, nobody noticed how truly dreadful this this teleplay was. So I posted a thing on Facebook saying, you know, this is unwatchable, but essentially the story is the man from uncle, you know, updated. It's the man from uncle and man from uncle premiered in 1964. So Hollywood is cannibalizing stuff all the way back to 1964. That is the, the creative bankruptcy at work right now. And it, it just makes no sense. Oh my God, it's bad. Anyway, Johan. No, I had nothing to say. Oh, I'm sorry. Your name popped up on the screen here. Ah, but not your hand. I see. Okay. You probably coughed. I um, probably yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, I, 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 um, I, I, well, just a couple other um, notes here. One, uh, that we should just mention the, the situation in the Netherlands with farmers uh, and that Croatian MP or whatever he is, uh, gave another speech today uh, about, about the shutting downs of farms, Dutch farms. Uh, and he said outright, it seems the World Economic Forum wants people to live on insects and 3D printed meat. Uh, and he said, you have to have, we have to stop the destruction of farms in Europe. And he's right, of course, the, but, but 
it's it's kind of amazing when you look at the the state of the green movement, the environmental movement, the climate movement has reached a point where it makes sense to them to shut down farms. Johan. Talk about cannibalism. I mean, that's just really like burning the, the subsistence basis of, of your society to the yeah, ground. I mean, it's, it's really, so, so I, I thought about what you said earlier, you spoke about Hollywood cannibalizing itself and, and you made this observation on the, the loss of the ability to narrate complex ideas. We, we've talked about this a lot, of course, and, and how this will have disastrous results cognitively and then psychologically. But I think this observation is crucial also in, in relation to what we spoke of earlier, because, you know, I would normally emphasize the value of, of uh, defending not only implausible hypotheses, but but even patently untrue or, or disproven theories. I'm a follower of, of you know, Feyerabend and probably Wittgenstein here. That uh, there's always some truth we can glean from the defense of any position, no matter how fringe, and that those truths might not be accessible through other means. But I don't think that this is necessarily possible in, in each and every situation. And I'm not sure that, that this is possible in, in the context you're claiming we're now finding ourselves in, in a situation where we've lost the ability to narrate and comprehend complex ideas, because that, then you can no longer really have the, the nuanced discernment between the false theory and how it counterintuitively brings us closer to truth and the statement that the nonsense of theory is actually true. I, I think this is, this is crucial for, for the, the lack of the lack of rational and critical thinking in the discourse at this moment. Well, I saw um, <clears throat> Zelensky made a speech the other day. He said, we will defeat Russia just like we defeated Nazism. Yeah. I mean, this is just like Alice through the looking glass, right? Uh, people can say anything. Uh -huh. and it, will, it will be applauded to some degree. And I wrote about this in my recent blog post. I, it seems that this society, much of the people in this society, the sort of educated bourgeoisie, have developed a capacity to, to tolerate cognitive dissonance and, mm -hmm. and either kind of ignore it or, or neutralize it or I don't know what. But, but it doesn't cause them to stop in their tracks and go like with a brain short or something they don't it's it's it just gets it just gets internalized in some way like that's the way it is a is b and b is g it doesn't matter you know uh and and i i'm so much of this can can be laid at the feet of propaganda that the endless assault of propaganda that goes on you know, 24 seven. And again, not to reference myself, but in the blog post, I said, I quoted the Marx quote that, um, gosh, maybe I'll even read it. It's so famous. Hold on. Yeah, let me read it. The ideas of the ruling class are in every epic, the ruling ideas, i.e. the class, which is the ruling material force of society is at the same time, it's ruling intellectual force, the class, which has the means of material production at its disposal, has control at the same time 
over the means of mental production. So that thereby, generally speaking, the ideas of those who lack the means of mental production are subject to it. The ruling ideas are nothing more than the ideal expression of the dominant material relationships, the dominant material relationships grasped mm. as ideas. Hence, of the relationships which make the one class the ruling one, therefore, the ideas of its dominance. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> this is a very famous quote from German ideology that, that, that the propaganda ultimately is always reinforcing something of in, reproducing, you know, ruling class ideology. And I cited this example of Michelle Obama on stage with Bruce Springsteen and his band, along with Mrs. Steven Spielberg, AKA Kate Capshaw. And I thought this is a, this is a, but this is a perfect propaganda tool, right? This is, this is propaganda that Michelle is reproducing the ideology of the ruling class as is Bruce, as is the boss and, you know, fuck them both. Uh, it, and this, this is now, this kind of propaganda is deployed uh, constantly. It, it's it's inclusive and folksy and warm and uh, it gives the illusion of spontaneity and all of these things and and uh, it it so saturates media it's uh, it, mm. there's no room for anything else there's no air left Johan so in relation to that Marsh quote. Uh, you, you can pose the, the, the interesting question of what happens to the genuine agency of the ruling class in a situation of, of the AI echo chamber, because that's basically the self-reproducing spectacle, you know, and right. doesn't that in some sense, you know, disrupt the agency, the actual agency of the ruling class? Why? Yeah, I think this is a great question. I think, I think I've thought about it in different terms uh -huh. before, but yeah, yeah. Well, I think, I think we've reached a point over the last, say, 30 years, maybe, maybe even less than that, in which the people who create uh, and, and mm. create and shape the propaganda and the propaganda apparatus are now as affected by that propaganda mm. as everybody else is. So it's, there's like multiple feedback, closed feedback loops going on at the same time. I think, I think that's what accounts for what's, what feels like the unhinged aspect in, in, in sort of in quotation marks, ruling class voices that you hear. Uh, uh, it's, it's, I don't think they know people creating the algorithms and writing the code that will tell you to do this or that or mask up or uh what was the what the new twitter girl said mask up or pack up hired by elon musk uh i don't think they any i it it doesn't feel as effective or seamless or or uh, uh, effective as 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 it has in the past. I think we diminishing returns are setting in. Something has happened, and maybe it is what you say. 
in some sense. Um, it's a really, that's a great question, complicated question. Um, okay, um, any sort of finalish thoughts from people? Hiroyuki. I think uh, it, it's it's really uh, uh, the the what you said about uh, cognitive dissonance uh, not uh, being needed is um, uh, we should uh, we should look into that because um, that <laughs> seemed to be if that's if that's the case uh, at large uh, that means. Um, it, 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 I mean, but people do recognize the exploitation and subjugation, and they take it as it is somehow, and they engage in double speak, and they engage in whatever th that are necessary, and they just go along with it, which means um, the same thing is going to happen from the other end. The authority would know that this is okay we recognize this as some kind of fascism and we can act as it is. So uh, the uh, outright uh, things we hear might be the uh, expression of that maybe. Yeah, no, it's very interesting. Um, I, I, I don't know. I. Uh... It's very hard, I think, for the for if you're young today, I think it's just very hard in general. And if you're old, it's very hard in a set of different ways. Uh, because the future looks does not look great, you know. <laughs> Corey? Yeah, I just wanted to reference that article from April of 2023 this year, one third of US teen girls seriously considered attempting suicide in 2021. So one third of US teen girls. So that is pretty incredible. And yep. you know, what, what's going to change going forward? Are we creating a better world for those, you know, for children being born today, for youth, you know, coming into adulthood? We yeah, no, it's a great question. But I mean, we are living in, in Western society, a culture that has built acres of empty buildings in every city, empty office buildings, empty homes, simultaneous with homeless people on every street, um, every block in the city tens of thousands, probably half a million in big cities and counties. This is crazy. The government just spent, I don't know what, to hire 40,000 militarized cops and security uh, professionals to, to stop the poorest, most desperate people from coming into the United States, people that have contributed an extraordinary amount to American culture and done the shit work that many Americans didn't want to do uh, and, and contributed in just untold ways. I mean, to myriad countless ways. Uh, that's where the money goes. Hundred, how many billions, hundreds of billions of dollars to a Nazi regime in Kiev. Mm. 
and yet people are dying of exposure and hunger, malnutrition, curable diseases on every street corner, you know, in every tent city and freeway underpass in America. How is that? How is that possible? I mean, but in a sense, I understand that I don't know what to do. You could go feed a few of them. It doesn't doesn't make a dent, obviously. You could start asking questions. You can start asking politicians questions, and which I think in many ways all of us do in different ways. Uh, and yet, and yet, it, and we also live in a society in which the fear of nuclear Armageddon, of a massive, you know, uh, uh, just total nuclear apocalypse frightens people far less than another degree centigrade in, in, in temperature rises of some fake, stupid climate. They can look around and see there's not an emergency next to them. Yeah, the earth is probably getting warmer. I don't know. I have no idea. Neither does anybody else, frankly. Uh, what I do know is that people are starving on the street corner, are sick and and suffering from mental illness, all things they could be helped with and they could be cared for and they could be sheltered and housed in all of these millionaires' corporate buildings. Nobody even suggests it. And if you tried to do it, you would be arrested. What kind of society is that? Hiroyuki? Yeah, that's, that's really a uh, uh, point people really should make. Um, and to understand that, we, we really need to understand that the fact that um, the money and the power and resources that are accumulating are taken by us. The collective power of uh, accumulating knowledge, wisdom, and technology, those are uh, not... Uh, created by the oligarchs uh, out of thin air. Those are accumulation of uh, what people uh, have done for generations. Uh, you know, people in different fields, they, they put their efforts and the, the, but the results are always accumulating in, uh, in the hands of the oligarchs. And we don't even question uh, what can you do you know, they have the power, money, resources. Well, but those yeah. are ours, you know, the, 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 you know, those are not, it's, we really don't have the uh, uh, facility to understand the structural um, exploitation that makes it possible. I mean, this is like, you know, really basic and uh, among the basic, but, but at the same time, uh, it's hard to realize, you know, when, when we look at the reality. Well, it, we just saw this pathetic spectacle of the coronation of uh, the king. And I would bet the media did its best to hide the contempt of the British public and, and how much they hated this because they did. Everybody thought it was idiotic. There's hyperinflation in England. 
there's all kinds of, you know, this is a surveillance state now, the UK, incredible crackdowns, criminalizing of poverty. And so here you have this tone deaf fucking clown and his, you know, ugly girlfriend waltzing around billions of dollars worth of jewelry and gems. And, um, so my point being that, that I think a lot of people, the majority of people, saw that with contempt. But but they're not, those voices are not visible. What you get are the corporate voices of fawning approval. And that's the, that's the tension now that is reaching some kind of, uh, some kind of, of critical mass, I think. So a singularity of, uh, of propaganda and reality and, and mental distress were, were all, was all percolating up. To, to but, something. That's my sense. Yeah, I mean, it, it's frustrating, though, because, um, I mean, we really need to understand how this is happening and why, and um, otherwise, the, the momentum of the uh, critical math is always used to perpetuate, you know, the capitalist hegemony. Well, it's it, going to go towards fascism. Right, right, right. Because that's going to be the first. That's going to be the first turn on the uh, yeah, first off ramp exit on the yeah. Other. That's the only okay. Final thoughts from everybody. I don't. I'm gonna go on here. I'm sorry. I'm interrupting you. I'm. Well, no, no, no. I, I was just gonna say that you know the the situation is that the uh, uh, the the rest of the uh, the world, uh, uh, China, namely, is relying on. Uh, uh, state capitalism and this is a really productive effective system which works to get things done um, I mean this is just a fact uh, compared to the uh, Wall Street type capitalism which is very good in accumulating wealth and uh, perpetuating the uh, hierarchy so in, in order for the West to beat what's going on um the the only way is fascism you know yeah so yeah. and then and well and that's yeah that that's that's why yeah. that's why we're seeing this yeah and the fascism is what those world. people are talking about with the uh world economic forum and those yeah. uh, public uh private partnership which is fascism you know and they keep calling it communism. Why? So, right. Okay. Final, <laughs> final thoughts from everybody. Uh, Johan, Corey, Brew. Yeah, let anybody? me give you a quote. Here's a Cormac McCarthy quote. A man's at odds to know his mind because his mind is all he has to know it with. He can know his heart, but he don't want to. Rightly so. Best not to look in there. It ain't the heart of a creature that is bound in the way that God has set for it. You can find meanness in the least of creatures, but when God made man, the devil was at his elbow, a creature that can do anything, make a machine and a machine to make the machine, an evil that can run itself for a thousand years, no need to tend it. What's that there from? Blood Meridian. Oh, yeah, God, that's a great book. Um, 
I'm going to quote something now that just reminded me of I, blood meridians, just extraordinary. Um, this is a quote from D.H. Lawrence. It's much quoted uh, from from uh, I, I think he it, he wrote a s series of essays on classic American literature. It's very good. Lawrence was a better critic than he was a novelist. But anyway, the quote is. The essential American soul is hard, isolate, stoic, and a killer. It has mm. never yet melted. Mm. Close quote. Um, and the term I was looking for earlier, talking about the uncanny, is the, uncal <clears throat> the uncanny valley. Yeah. Not that this is of any importance. Okay, uh, Corey? Um, nothing. Go outside. That's my advice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, Varun? I, I will just echo what Corey just said. Go outside. <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah. yeah. I've been Share out in the forest. The night sky. Um, yeah. Oh, so there is a there is an interesting piece uh, of info about that. I think there is a village in New Zealand that was listed onto the World Heritage List because they did an experiment about lights facing down in all over the town, I think, so that they could preserve the view of the mm. night sky. Wow. That's a very good story, yeah. And it's quite old, I think. It's about 10, 15 years old. I'll try and find that. Well, not only has... I mean, light pollution's bad. It's gotten worse with the um, advent of LED. Yeah, my God. Which is which is a horrifying it's white horrendous. glare yeah. of that. Yeah, I get. Um, <clears throat> I'm like allergic to to fluorescent lights. People think this is that I'm exaggerating or it's a joke. I can't sit under fluorescent lights if if unless they're very high up. Uh, I start yawning in like ten minutes. I've been yeah. in chess tournaments with. Um, fluorescent lights and I have to leave the room all the time because I, I get sleepy and a headache and stuff. Light's an interesting topic. Okay, thank you to everybody. Thank you to Jack Littman in LA. Thank you to the people that write us such nice letters uh, from all parts of the vast earth. And uh, <laughs> presumably we are gonna have a bunch of links when we get this thing posted, mm -hmm. uh, links with the posting of the podcast. Thank you, everyone, and we'll see you uh, in a couple of weeks or next week. Yeah. Yep, thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye.